When I was in grade nine, the very first day of high school, I remember going into my homeroom class and beginning a conversation with this guy who was about two feet taller than me, had long shaggy hair, and and we were trying to find some common ground, build some sort of connection with one another, and he asked the question, what kind of music do you listen to? Now, for me, personally, I wasn't exactly sure how to answer that question. Um, I was a little bit shy. I was a little bit shy about my Christian faith. And predominantly what I listened to was Christian, contemporary Christian music. And uh, I, I didn't feel like I was quite ready to say, to, to say that. And so uh, in uh, my response to him, I, I said, well, I don't know. I don't really listen to a lot of mainstream music. And he said, oh, you're into alternative music. Me too. And he starts to list off all of these different names of bands and artists that I'd never heard of. And I was like, kind of like going along with it, listening, like nodding. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Oh yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, they're good. Well, I don't really know them. Uh, and uh, this was before my family, we didn't have a computer. So I remember some of the names going home and like there was nowhere you could go and find out. You go and you turn on much music. They used to play music videos back then, but they were not playing any of the stuff that this guy was talking about. I remember walking into his homeroom the next day and seeing him and he reached into his backpack and he pulled out a mixtape. He'd written all these different art bands, different artists on there. And I remember looking at it and he said, hey, this is for you. Take this home and listen to it. And I remember going home and taking the tape out and putting it in the tape player. And I remember listening to this music. And I remember the first time hearing it, it didn't sound like anything I'd heard on the radio. It didn't sound like anything that was playing on the, uh, that was playing on much music or wherever else people were listening to music at that particular time. I mean, it sounded like it was from like a whole different world. There was this movement and energy to it as I listened to these alternative bands like the Pixies, Sonic Youth, Pavement, all these different bands that that I remember listening to and it just felt like they were coming from a totally different place than everything else that I was hearing, that was being played, that people were listening to. It didn't sound as polished or refined, but it sounded like it came out of something that was happening. This morning and throughout the rest of the Advent season, we are going to be journeying through uh, the book of Luke, specifically the beginning of the book of Luke, and we're going to be looking at the different songs that show up. The, the, the gospel writer of Luke, he, uh, there were these songs circulating within the Christian communities that he grabs onto and uses to tell the Christmas story story. Now, where in most musicals, I'm, I kind of have a bit of a background in music theater, uh, and you would watch a movie or whatever it is, or you're at a show, and someone is talking, and then all of a sudden they break into song. Usually it's about capturing the emotional state of the character. But here, this is actually about something a whole lot more than trying to capture the psychology or the emotional state of the, the people who are singing. Instead, this is meant to tell us, to, to communicate what God is doing. And so there were these songs that the Christian community grabbed onto, that Luke grabs onto and shares in his gospel because they capture, they they give theological explanation to what God is doing in the first Christmas story. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it to Luke chapter 1. 
Now, it's interesting, for, for many of us, when we think about Christmas, we think about the music. I think for many of us, one of the things that we are missing the most in this season of COVID and knowing we are heading into a season where we are not able to gather together as a community and, and we miss being able to take communion together and to see each other in a fellowship, but I think we really miss being able to sing. We miss being able to sing together, and I think we really miss that when it comes to Christmas carols or, or the music that we hear. Maybe, maybe you've already started to blare the Christmas music in your house. And typically, when we think about Christmas music, when we think about uh, the music that gets played in the malls or on the radio this time of year, usually it's sentimental it's fun or it's nice, it's light. It's, it's the kind of thing that just makes you go and puts you in a good mood unless you despise Christmas music, in which case it just incites rage within you. But for most of us, it just, it's just fun and it's enjoyable. We usually think about Christmas music as being harmless. And yet the songs that Luke uses to tell the Christmas story they're radical. They're revolutionary. They're the kind of song that if you just sing it out loud, both in their time and ours, it gets you in trouble. It turns heads. It's provocative. I mean, these, these are songs. Think less nice sentimental music and think more like Rage Against the Machine, Public Enemy, The Clash, these, these political, these social movement kind of songs. This is what's going on in the songs that Luke grabs a hold of. The songs that were, were flowing out of the community of first Christians. And as we journey through this, I want to take that very seriously and to do our best because maybe these are songs you've heard over and over and over again you haven't even thought about. Uh, they're, they're songs that in some ways you don't really, they, the, the, the revolutionary nature, the provocative nature of them gets lost. And so my hope for us as we listen to these songs together, that we would hear them with fresh ears, that they would sound different to us today. In fact, actually, the song that we are doing today is Mary's song, found in Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 46. And one of the things you need to realize that this is a song that throughout history has gotten a lot of people in trouble. In fact, there are countries, even in the 1980s, countries in South America that banned using this song in public acts of worship because it was deemed too revolutionary and too dangerous and, and could powerfully incite people towards change, social change. And so as we wrestle with this text today, my hope is, is that we will let its weirdness speak to us. This won't be something we just relegate off to the side and go, oh, it's nice, it's Christmas, uh, it's decorations, it's fun, it's, it's, it's just sentimental, it's sweet. No, no, this, this is powerful language that I think has something profound to say to us today. Uh, let's pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you that the King has come, that you are God with us. We pray this morning that as we dive into this text, that it would speak to us, that it would inspire us, that it would provoke within us a response. Uh, one that would drive us, <laughs> drive us more intensely towards you. 
We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 46. Quick context, uh, an angel has appeared to Mary. Mary is like a preteen, maybe, maybe early teens, young, little, young girl, a young woman. And she, uh, the angel has come to her and said, you are going to be the mother of the Messiah. And her response is, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then she sees her cousin who is also going to have, uh, her cousin Elizabeth, who is also going to be, has been, God is using in this profound way to give birth to a baby who's going to be the one who leads the way for the Messiah. Uh, His name is going to be John the Baptist. And so they see each other and uh, they are just so excited. And here's what Mary says. This is her song. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So this is an important context for us to be aware as we listen to this song together. Mary is Jewish and she is a part of the, the, the family of Israel, a, a people who were called out by God to, to be his people, to be a, an example of who he is to the world. They are to reflect what this God is all about. And yet they failed to live up to that And as they chased after other nations and and other gods and wanting to be just like everybody else, they found themselves in exile, not who they ever wanted to be. And even as they returned back to the land of Israel, the the, the ground that their their great-great-great-grandfathers had, had lived and tilled and worked, uh, they they still felt like it's not quite right. They were being ruled by a pagan force. Uh, It's interesting that Mary begins her song singing, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. She talks about her God, the the Lord, she names him the Lord, her savior. This is the same language that was used to describe the emperor of Rome. He was seen as the Lord and Savior of the world. So even at the very start, Mary's already saying something incredibly controversial. Caesar ruled over the land and he had appointed a king named Herod who was deemed king of the Jews, who didn't really care much about the Jewish faith at all, but was far more interested in ruling over it and and enjoying his own building projects. He was a horrible, corrupt king who harmed people, uh, had no problems with killing people, and just did anything that he could do to remain in power. And so God's people, who were supposed to be a light to the world, they find themselves 
being pushed to the margins. Uh, They find themselves in this situation where they are just trying to survive. And they are walking through this season of waiting and longing with this sense like, God, have you forgotten us? Have you given up on us? What about all the promises that you made to your servant Abraham and his descendants and about the the calling and the, the, the gift of a vocation that you gave to our people? What's going to happen with all of that? And when this angel appears to Mary and tells her, no, God has not forgiven or not forgotten or given up on his people and he has not abandoned his promises. Uh, Rather, he is going to use you to, to give birth, to bring into this world the one who is going to lead you out of the oppression that you face. Now, one thing that needs to be said and addressed is is the issue of debt and the the incredible disparity that many of the people in Israel were facing during their time. Uh, If you were at the top, things were great for you. If you had lots of money, things worked really well. But if you didn't, you found you had less and less and less money. The the, The gap between those who had a lot and those who had a little was growing and growing and growing. And we, as you learn a little bit more about the culture, the, the time that, that uh, Jesus lived in, that Mary would have lived in, you hear, you learn that there are people preying on other people to, to exploit them, people who are vulnerable to make sure they could take their money. Uh, and, and there was serious issues with debt. In fact, if you go through and you read through the Gospels, you will find that one of the topics Jesus is addressing again and again is the issue of debt. Now, he's not doing this as a financial advisor trying to give them financial advice. He's doing this because this was an issue that many of the people were facing. In fact, many of them, they'd been given this land. They'd been, maybe they'd inherited it. And then they were walking through difficult and challenging times. Maybe there was a drought or a famine or whatever it was. They didn't have the same kind of income that they needed. Or maybe it was just simply because Rome kept cranking up the taxes. And so just to survive, they realized they needed to start to sell off their land. I mean, this is the land that they had been promised and given to by God, and yet they have to give it away in order to survive. And people were exploiting this and taking advantage of it. And so many of these people, they sold off their land. And after they sold off their land, they had to sell themselves into slavery or their families into slavery in order to simply make ends meet. There were a lot of hungry people back then. In fact, actually, there's one story or one time where Jesus in his teaching, he's talking about what to do when people try to sue you for your coat. And Jesus is not using this like metaphorically. It was literally an issue many people in his time were facing. They had no money. They had nothing else to give. People were literally suing them for the coat off of their back. It was a time of incredible disparity. But Mary's song proclaims an incredible change is coming. That there is going to be a great reversal where the people who are in power, the people who are comfortable, the people who are looked at as being successful, well, they're not going to be at the top anymore. And the people who've been pushed to the margins the people who humbly serve and fear God, the people who have nothing, 
The people who don't even have enough food, suddenly, oh, there's going to be an upheaval. There's going to be a reversal. There is going to be a change. That God's kingdom is going to be revealed and there's going to be a change up. Those who are on top will find themselves on the bottom and those who are on the bottom will find themselves on the top. Jesus picks up this theme later on. Uh, If you turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Let's see. Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 20. Jesus is teaching his followers. Here's what he says. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Jesus is referring to himself. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. So so Jesus is essentially saying, he says, realize there is a day that is coming where things are going to be set right. Where where there's going to be this great upheaval, this great reversal. So if you have nothing now, realize that you are going to receive it back. If you are hungry and starving and just trying to make ends meet, realize that there is a day coming when things are going to be better. And please, he says, make sure you realize that if people are saying terrible things about you, that you are in good company because they did this to the prophets before you. And then Jesus goes and he dives into a part that uh, it makes me feel uncomfortable and it might make you feel uncomfortable too. He says this, but woe to you who are rich. And when he says woe, it's not like surfer dude, like Keanu Reeves, woe. It's, it's woe is and this is tragic. He says, woe to you who are rich for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Jesus speaks this warning that echoes Mary's song. He, he speaks this incredible message of hope to those who are on the bottom, who are suffering, who have been ignored, who have been taken advantage. Um, and he says, God sees you and God is doing something about it. And ultimately, Jesus says, I am what God is doing. Realize that this life and what you are experiencing now is not, this is not all of it that there is something else coming. And because of this, Mary has incredible hope. And it is a hope that we can have today. But it brings us to an interesting and uncomfortable question. For those of us who live in the Western world, for those of us who own a car, a house, for for those of us who don't have to worry about making sure we have enough to eat. Groceries is not a major concern for us. We have to ask ourselves this question. Are we singing along with Mary? Or is Mary singing about us? 
Let me ask that question one more time. Are we singing along with Mary or is Mary singing about us? It's interesting that the first Christians, they, made a broad, they were predominantly poor, although there were certainly some people with wealth and money. Uh, but it's interesting as they gathered together, it talks about them sharing their lives together, celebrating and rejoicing together, mourning together, and even sharing their possessions together so that no one was in need. This was a community that was a foretaste, a little bit of a hint about what was ultimately coming in Jesus' return. It's a community that rejoices in God as Savior, not looking to money, to wealth, to prestige, to acclaim, to success, to be the thing that saves them. But in fact, actually rather looks at that and says that can be a barrier to what? To knowing Christ and to experiencing his kingdom. I love this quote from Kathleen Norris, who's a brilliant biblical scholar. She simply says this in her, uh, in her Advent reflections. She says this, If you have it all or think you can buy it all, there will be no Christmas for us. Now, she's certainly not saying that there can't be a holiday. <laughs> there almost certainly will be. But what she is saying is that, realize you will not experience or, or come to the fullness of understanding and, and walking with, with Jesus. That, that our wealth, that, that, can, that can cut us off from God and from others that our, our, our desire to earn the, the approval of others, that can cut us off from, from God and from those whom God cares most about. I return to this question. Are we singing along with Mary or is Mary singing about us? If we were to see those who are considered lowly the poor, the uneducated, if we were to see them lifted up to places of status, if we were to see this, this great reversal that Mary places all her hope in and that Jesus proclaims and embodies, is this something that causes us to rejoice like Mary? Is this something that causes us to break out into song? Or is this something that makes us uncomfortable? Are we singing with Mary? Or is she singing about us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we acknowledge that if we are watching this right now, we come from a place of wealth, of privilege. Lord God, we pray that that would not hold us back. 
Rather, it would be something we would give to you, we would offer to you and to others. That, that you would stir up within us generosity and that we would give with joy. We pray that we might sing along with Mary. That, that we would belt this song out at the top of our lungs. We thank you that you have saved us from sin. We thank you for Jesus, for his life, for his death, for his resurrection, the new life that comes as we walk in his spirit. We pray that you would instill within us hope in the midst of a world that often seems so broken. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.